Good evening, everyone, and happy Sabbath.、Uh, I would like to, before I begin, let you know that tomorrow morning、um, there's an invitation going out to invite you all to come tomorrow morning、uh, to, for some of you, spend your first Sabbath.、Uh, tomorrow morning, I will be sharing my testimony. Of how the Lord led me from、uh, the lifestyle that I was in music,、um, drugs, alcohol, and a whole lot of violence、uh, to where I am today. How He led me、uh, to His Bible, to His Word. And so、uh, I invite you to come tomorrow at 10 30. Tomorrow morning, if you can、uh, make it, that would be excellent, and you'll be in for a treat. Um, I'll even have some pictures. Some of you maybe have seen some pictures, but I'll have some pictures with me tomorrow.、Um, I have one more announcement. Oh, yeah, that's right. Remember that we have seven more nights、uh, to cover, seven more meeting nights. And again, it is not too late. Believe it or not, it is still not too late to invite a friend、uh, to come out. Okay, tonight's message. Is dealing with spiritualism invading the church or the churches.、Uh, it's a two part message tonight and tomorrow night. Tonight is part one, tomorrow night is part two. Tomorrow night is called the City of Fire. And you don't want to miss tomorrow night. Tomorrow night's message is perhaps one of my、uh, most favorite messages the City of Fire. But tonight we're looking at the Spiritualism invades a church. This two part series is dealing with the end of sin. The end of sin.、And、so we're going to get right into the message, but let's have a word of prayer first. Heavenly Father, we ask tonight, Lord, that you would please give us understanding, Lord. There are some in here, Lord, many perhaps who, who have thought one way upon this particular subject, Lord, and as they see what the scripture has to say, Lord, I just pray that you would bring a conviction to their hearts. And the peace that this is truth. Father, we thank you for what you're about to do because it is in Jesus' name that we ask it. Amen. All right.、Uh, we are going to begin with a story found in the New Testament. Jesus is here speaking to some Pharisees. And the Pharisees were trying to find a way to kill Jesus. I mean, their hearts were just raging with anger. Because, beloved, let me tell you, all sin really is pointed towards who? Towards Jesus, right? And so here these Pharisees are, and they're trying to find a way to kill Jesus. And notice what Jesus says in John chapter 8, verses 37 and then 44. He says, I know that you are Abraham's seed, and he was talking about after the flesh. I know that you're Abraham's seed, but you seek to what? Kill me because my word has no place in you. And then he compares these people who are trying to do what? Kill him to somebody. Listen, you are of your father, the who? The devil, and the lusts of your father you will do. He was a what? Murderer from the wind. Beginning. So, Jesus here compares these Pharisees to Satan and says, Listen, 
Just as, as just in the same way that you were, you were trying to kill me now, so was your father, which is Satan, a murderer from when? From the beginning. Notice 1 John 3.15, the Bible says, Whosoever hateth his brother is a what? Is a murderer. So, Jesus here is telling us that Satan was a murderer from the very beginning. Now, we say, from the beginning, how is that so? Who did Satan murder in the beginning? Well, the Bible tells us here in Revelation chapter 12, there was war in heaven, and this was in the when? Beginning. There was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against who? The dragon. And the dragon fought and his angels against who? Against Michael. Who was the dragon's war against? It was against? It was against? What's that word there? That name? Michael. So there are two sides in this war. There is the dragon and his angels. And then there is Michael and his angels. And we, we see here that the dragon is out to destroy or overpower who? Michael. It says, but he prevailed not, neither was their place found anymore in heaven. Revelation 12, 7 and 8. And the question is, prevailed not in doing what? What did Lucifer, Satan, want to do to this Michael? Before we find that out, we need to find out first, scripturally speaking, who is this Michael, which is also called the archangel in scripture? Well, if we go to the book of Daniel, chapter 12, verse 1, we read about this Michael again. And in Daniel 12, verse 1, it says, And at that time shall who? Michael stand up. And who is Michael, everyone? The great who? Prince which standeth for the children of thy people. Now this angel, Michael the archangel, here is called the great prince which stood for Israel. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that same time. And at that time, thy people shall be delivered, everyone that shall be found written in the book. Daniel, the whole entire book of Daniel, speaks about this prince in a lot of different ways. So we're going to notice just a couple of these verses. Daniel 8 and verse 11 speaks of the prince of the host. Daniel 8.25 speaks of who? The prince of princes. Now, who would the prince of princes be? Who would the prince of princes be? Jesus. Very good. Who would the prince of the host be? Jesus. Excellent. Daniel 9.25 speaks of Messiah, the who? The prince. Very that we That's pretty obvious. That's Jesus. Daniel 9.26 again speaks of Messiah and the prince. Daniel 10.13 calls Michael the first. Now in your KJV Bible, it says one of the chief princes. But if you look in your margin, the word one there actually means first. So Michael is called the first or the highest of the princes. Now who would be, if I were to just ask you, who is the highest of all the princes in the world? Who would you say? You would say Jesus. Very good. Daniel 10.21 Michael is called Daniel's prince. An angel is speaking to him and he says, none but Michael, your prince, holds these 
truths with me. And so Michael is called Daniel's prince or the prince of the Jews once again. And in Daniel 11.22, we find the prince of the covenant. Who would be the prince of the covenant? Jesus. Very good. In other words, the whole entire book of Daniel is speaking about this one prince. And then we get to Daniel 12.1 and he is called who? Michael the great prince. So... I want you to notice again, the Bible says here, for the Lord himself, for who? Who? The Lord himself shall do what? Descend from heaven with a shout. Now, whose voice, when the Lord shouts, it says that it's going to come out or it will be with the voice of the who? Archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Now, if I were to stand up here and shout and you heard Athena's voice come out, would you think that'd be pretty strange? That would be quite strange. The Bible is telling us here that when the Lord himself shouts, it's going to be the voice of the who? The archangel. So the Bible here is calling Jesus or is relating Jesus, explaining Jesus as the archangel. Now you're saying, wait a minute, are you saying that Jesus is created? No way in the world. Hold your thought. Michael is simply the pre-incarnate name of the Son of God. Listen to me. How many of you have ever heard of Matthew Henry? Matthew Henry's commentary in uh, libraries of pastors all across America. Matthew Henry, a famous scholar, he says, speaking of Daniel 12, Christ is that great prince for he is the prince of the kings of the earth. Meant speaking on Michael. Again, John Wesley. How many of you have heard of John Wesley? John Wesley, who believes in Jesus Christ, who in no way, shape, or form believed that Jesus Christ was a created person. John Wesley, speaking on Daniel 12, says, When Michael, your prince, the who? Messiah shall appear for your salvation. Archangel, the word angel in the Hebrew is malak. It simply means, the word archangel simply means highest messenger. The word malak means messenger. So the Bible here, when it calls Jesus the archangel, is not saying that Jesus was a created being. It's simply saying he is the highest of all what? Of all messengers. Notice Malachi 3 verse 1, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And who? The Lord whom you seek shall suddenly come to his temple. Even the messenger, and guess what the Hebrew word is for that word messenger, which is describing the Lord? Malak, the Hebrew word for angel. So it calls here Christ the messenger or the angel of the covenant whom you delight in. Behold, he shall come, say the Lord of hosts, according to Malachi 3 verse 1. So again, very simply speaking, when the Bible calls Michael the archangel, it's simply saying that he is the highest of all messengers. Jesus Christ is not a created being. What did I say? He is not a created being. He himself, he, life is in him. He was not created, but the Bible calls him the highest of all messengers. Now, now that we understand who Michael is, when the Bible says that the dragon, his war was against Michael, we understand then that his war was against who? Jesus. Satan and his angels were warring against Jesus and his angels. 
This is what the war was. Now, I want you to notice, and as we're going through this, I want to see if you can be a step ahead of me and tell me what you think Satan's daring wager was. All right, here we go. Notice what the Bible says about Jesus. In the beginning was the what? Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were what? Made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of man. John 1, 1 through 4. So in who was life? In Jesus. In Jesus. In him was life. He made all things. Notice again Hebrews 1, 1 to 3. God has in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and doing what? Upholding how many things? All things by the word of his power. So how many things did Jesus uphold? All things, all created things were upheld and kept in order by Jesus. Bible goes on to say, for by him were all things, what? Created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things, what? Consist, Colossians 1, 16 and 17. It's another way of saying, in Christ, all things what? Exist. All things were held together by and in Jesus Christ. Satan's daring wager, when he decided to attack Jesus Christ or Michael, who was he attacking? What was he attacking? The very source of what? Life. Now, beloved, as, I, as I'm thinking about this and I'm going, okay, what could have caused Satan to be so crazy as to attack the very source of life? Why would that be a crazy thing to do to attack the very source of life? Think about it. I, I heard a couple answers. You die. <laughs> Doesn't that make sense? If, you were to, if in Christ all things exist, if in Christ the whole universe exists, let's say that Christ was to just, somebody was able to just take Christ off the throne and kill him. What would happen? Would, would we go on and say, man, we miss Jesus. It, it's so sad. We sure wish he could come back. What would happen if the God of the universe was killed? The universe would cease to exist at that very moment. So, beloved, I want you to get this. First of all, sin had so deranged the mind of Satan that he at first thought that he could what? Exist without who? Without God. You know, sin is a crazy thing. How many of you understand that? Sin is something that makes you think and act absolutely crazy. And as I'm looking at this up here, I'm going, well, that's a stupid thing. How many of you see that as a stupid thing? 
How can you actually think that you could exist without God, the source of life? But beloved, once you allow sin into your heart, you do stupid things. So, sin had so deranged the mind of Satan that he thought he could exist without God. What was his claim? Jesus is not the only way to live what? Forever. Remember, his war was against Michael. Who did he? Why did Jesus say to the Jews, you are just like your father who was a murderer from the beginning? Who was it that Satan tried to murder or have killed or have wiped out totally in the beginning? It was Jesus. He warred against who? Michael, which we have seen as Jesus Christ. So, Imagine how the angels are going, well, say, oh, Lucifer, you know, if we, if we do this, we understand that Jesus, at least we've thought that he's a source of our life. What will happen to us if we attack the source of our life? And what do you think Lucifer told them? You're not going to... Come on. He's bluffing. I'm telling you, we can take him. And Lucifer convinces one-third of the angels that Jesus Christ is not the only way to live forever, that there are other ways in which they could maintain their existence. Here's the problem. 1 John 3.15, and perhaps Lucifer didn't know this, but we know it. Whosoever hated his brother is a what? Murderer, and you know that that means you know, you and I now know, and if you didn't know before, now you and I know that no murderer has what? Eternal life doing what? Abiding in him. Is that clear? The Bible tells us that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. And if Satan was a murderer from the beginning, we know that the Bible is telling us that Satan did not have what? Eternal life abiding in him. Now I believe that once I think this began to dawn on Lucifer and I think that Lucifer's hatred for Christ was so strong. I mean, Lucifer was a brilliant mind. And I think that what you and I just figured out just now, I think that Lucifer figured that out as well. I think that Lucifer knew that if he attacked the very source of life, that that could very well cause what? All existence to cease. And so hatred eventually so filled the mind of Satan that he was willing that all existence be what? Blotted out, including himself, rather than submit to who? Jesus. Now have you heard someone say, you know, I'm going to do something if it kills me. You ever heard that? You know, I'm going to do something if, it's, if it kills me. In fact, you might think, well, Pastor Mars, where are you getting this from? But beloved, if you look at what are called suicide bombers today, what is the concept behind a suicide bomber? I'm going to die. I know I'm going to die. But you know what? I hate so-and-so or this, what this thing stands for so much that I'm willing to do what? Sacrifice. My own life because of my hatred for that thing. So on one hand, you have Jesus uh, uh, um, showing the principle of self-sacrificing love. And on the other hand, you have Satan revealing the principle of self-sacrificing hatred. And I believe, beloved, that Lucifer 
Because of his hatred for, for Jesus, knowing the risk that if he could move Jesus out of the way, it would also mean the end of all existence, I believe Lucifer said, you know what, I'm going to do a suicide attack. Is this what Lucifer is doing today? Does Lucifer know that his time is short now? Yes, he knows he has no hope, and he is basically a suicide angel. He does not care. He is a renegade. And beloved, this is the reason why nothing could be done for Lucifer. I believe that's, that Jesus, as the loving Savior, must have pleaded with Lucifer. But when he got to this point, that he would be willing to be blotted out and in order to blot Jesus out himself, I believe at that point, there was no more hope for Lucifer. And there was what? War in heaven. Lucifer's intent was not merely to sit upon a throne, but to destroy Jesus. All right. Now, I want you to notice this principle laid out in the book of Deuteronomy. It says here, if a false witness rises up against any man to testify against him that which is wrong, then both the men between whom the controversy is shall stand before the Lord, and the judges shall make diligent inquisition. And behold, if the witness be a false witness and has testified falsely against his brother, then shall ye do unto him as he had thought to have done unto who? His brother. So shalt thou put the evil away from among you. Deuteronomy 19, 16-20. Quiz time. Satan falsely accused who? Christ desired him to be what? Blotted out of existence. What will be Satan's ultimate punishment? How many of you see that? Satan will be blotted out of existence. Now, beloved, I know that this is a far cry from what we hear on Hollywood because in Hollywood, Satan is in charge of what? He's in charge of hell with his pitchfork, right? And, you know, as people continue to populate hell, he's the one that's laughing and ha ha ha, forever I will be here torturing you to death. But the Bible is going to show us something that we, that many of us have not seen before, or at least that's not being preached. Listen. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Thou was upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. You were perfect in your ways from the day that thou was what? Created till iniquity was found in thee. Ezekiel 28.14-15 Look at what it says. By the multitude of thy merchandise, they have filled the midst of thee with violence, and thou hast what? Sinned. What is sin, everyone? Transgression of the, of the law. It says, therefore, in other words, because Lucifer sinned, therefore, I, God, will cast thee out as profane out of the mountain of God. When did that happen? There was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought. The devil prevailed not and was what? Cast out. Now, let me ask you, has this second part happened yet? The second part of Satan's sentence, and I will destroy thee. Has that happened yet? No, it hasn't. But we're told that that's what's going to happen. I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Ezekiel 28, 16. Why? Because the Bible says, for the wages of sin is what? Death. Now, let me ask you, does this sentence go for Satan as well? Or does Satan get to escape this sentence? 
No. That means, beloved, that whatever fate is for those who are sinners, Satan himself has the same fate. He is not in charge of any hell. Amen? Alright, so the wages of sin is death. Notice again, thou hast defiled, this is verse 18 and 19 of Ezekiel 28, thou hast defiled thy sanctuaries by the multitude of thine iniquities, therefore will I bring forth a what? Fire from the midst of thee, it shall devour thee. Now that's different from what I've seen in Hollywood. Because in Hollywood, the devil is what? He's in charge of hell. The Bible tells me here that the fire is going to do what? Devour Satan. He said, And it says, And I will bring thee to ashes upon the earth, and never shall thou be anymore. What is the significance of that last part of the sentence? As you sought to do it unto your brother, as you sought to do unto your brother, so shall it be done unto, unto you. This, beloved, is Satan's sentence. Never shall you be anymore. Satan, according to what we've seen, what we've seen so far, is going to be blotted out of existence. Is that clear? All right, but we're going to, we need to find some verses to really back that up. So, let's go ahead and keep going. Thy pomp is brought down to the grave, and the noise of thy voils, speaking, excuse me, this is speaking of Satan again, Isaiah chapter 14. And notice what it says. Let me go back and read that. Thy pomp is brought down to the where? Grave, and the noise of thy voils, the worm is spread under thee, and the worms cover thee. Thou shalt be brought down to hell, to the sides of the pit. Now remember Lucifer wanted to be in the sides of the what? Sides of the north. According to Isaiah 14. Here it says he's going to be brought down to the sides of the pit. He's going to be brought down to hell. Well the word there for hell. It is the Hebrew word sheol. And it means what everyone? Grave. Job 14.13 Job says here, he's speaking to God, he says, Oh, that thou wouldst hide me in Sheol, or hell. Now let me ask you, the popular concept of hell, what is it? Hell is a place of what? Of torment and burning fire. Why in the world would Job say, Lord, hide me in Sheol, in hell, until, or that thou would keep me secret until thy wrath be passed? Why would he say that? He had another idea idea of what hell means. Because the Bible doesn't give us the definition of a burning place of torment for hell. The word sheol again simply means grave. Job said, hide me in the grave that you would keep me secret until thy wrath be passed. That thou would appoint me a set time and remember me. And he's talking about the resurrection. Let's make it a little bit clearer. Psalm 89, 48. What man is he that liveth and shall not see what? Death. Shall he deliver his soul from the hand of the grave? Psalm 89, 48. What happens to those that go to the grave? They what? They they have a really bad time. They're miserable. What do they do? They die. Notice this. This is going to scare you to death, but you don't need to be scared. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, whose hand findeth to do? Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, whose hand are you talking about? Everybody raise your right hand. 
that hand, whatsoever that hand finds to do, do it with thy might, for there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the what? Grave, and the Hebrew word there is hell, whither you are going. Did you just tell me that I'm going to hell? <laughs> Beloved, scripturally speaking, every man that dies goes to hell. It simply means he's going to the what? To the grave. Very good. So when the Bible says that Lucifer will be brought down to hell, it's saying he's going to be brought down to the grave. And what happens to those in the grave? They what? They die. Quiz, Satan's end is A, death, or B, eternal life. What do you think? How many of you say A? How many of you say B? No Bs? All right, you guys are very good students. You're right. Why? Because the Bible says the wages of sin is what, everyone? Death. Okay, very good. Now, I want to look at the dictionary definition of death. Very simple. I mean, it's common sense. Death is the cessation of what? Life. Death is when life ceases. Is that a good definition? Does that help you out on what death is? Dictionary definition. Here is what death is not. It is not the cessation of life as we know it. Amen? That's not what death is. Like, let's say that I, you know, I'm living life this way and, and now I'm going to move to another state and that state is, I'm going to go to New Orleans now. Okay? Now, that is not death. I, it may be a worse state of what? Of life, but it is not what? It is not death. Okay, very good. Death does not mean life in a new form or an altered form. Is that clear? Death does not mean life in a new or altered form. Now, I want to show you something. We're going to tie this in with the sanctuary. And just bear with me as I read this. This is found in Psalm 73. I was envious at the foolish, David speaking, when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They are not in trouble as other men. Neither are they plagued like other men. You ever wonder that, man, you know, I'm trying to be good and trying to live like a Christian and I'm having it really hard. And then the guys out there who don't even care, it's just they're billionaires and trillionaires and everything's going good for them. They are not in trouble as other men. Neither are they plagued like other men. Therefore, pride compasses them about as a chain. Violence covered them as a garment. They have more than heart could wish. They are corrupt and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue walketh through the earth. And they say, how does God know? Is there any knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. Verily I have cleansed my heart in vain. I wash my hands in innocency. For all the day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. And now notice what David says. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then understood I their end. So beloved, we now return to the sanctuary to notice that the sanctuary even describes or explains the end of not only the wicked, but of who himself? Satan. You remember our picture here? When a person sinned, they would take an animal, a lamb, they would confess the sins 
that they had committed over the head of that animal. And then what happened to that animal? He was killed. Now, when David looked into this sanctuary system and he saw the lamb being killed, what did he see? First of all, he saw Jesus dying on our behalf. He saw the law of self-sacrificing love, but he also saw the effect of the law of self-centeredness. The law of self-centeredness says this, listen, I'm not going to die, and if I don't die, then who must die? Jesus must die that I may live. The law of self-centeredness says, I will do my will, I will do what I want to do, and because of that, I don't care what God says, and we push him out of our minds, we're saying, God, I don't want you. When this animal died, the sinner saw the result of sin. The wages of sin is what? Death. So that when a person looked and saw that bleeding lamb on the ground dead, not only did he see Jesus and his sacrifice for us, but he also saw what would be the end of all those who persist in what? In sin. And so David looks and he says, oh, the end of the wicked then is what, everyone? Death. And what is death? A cessation of life. Okay, you're probably thinking this is very elementary, but just hold your thought here. Why the wages of sin must be death? Have you, have you ever wondered that? Why must the wages of sin be death? Well, listen, see these two circles here? One of these circles starts from the center and begins to work itself outward. We're going to call this the law of self-sacrificing what? Love. It gives, it gives, and it, is, it starts with God, and God's love flows out and out, and it's like a circle. And how far can that circle go? It can go infinitely. This is the law of self-sacrificing love. Well, beloved, what Satan did was he reversed this equation. And instead of being a part of this cycle of outflowing love, he said, no, I'm going to turn the attention to who? Myself. It's now going to be about me. And in Satan's diagram, we now have a circle starting from the outward and it's continually going what? In, in, in. Me, me, me. I, I, I. And how far can this circle go? It eventually must come to an end. So it's not as if God said, okay, you disobey me, I'm going to kill you. That's not what God is saying. God is saying, listen, when you step out from the principle that I have laid as a foundation of my government, you are stepping into the cycle of what? Death. This is why the wages of sin is death, because it's self-centeredness, me, 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 and it must eventually come to an end. It's like a law of nature. Now I want you to notice what happened in the Garden of Eden. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day that you eat thereof ye shall surely what? Die. Genesis 2, 16 and 17. Satan comes... He speaks to Adam and Eve, now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, has God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye what? Die. 
And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die. Does that sound familiar? Genesis 3, 4. It's the same proposition made in heaven, beloved. We can take Jesus without having to die. He now tells it to this woman. Here's a question, beloved. What happens at death? Do the righteous receive their reward at death? In other words, is death simply a transition into another form of life? Question, if that's so, then is death really death? No, it would not be death because it's not a cessation of life. It's simply changing forms, kind of like a caterpillar to a butterfly or something like that. You're changing forms and it couldn't rightly be called what? Death. Now, a lot of people believe that when a person dies, based on Satan's law, let me add, right up front, when a person dies, they go straight, when a righteous person dies, they go straight to heaven. We want to see, is that correct? Do the righteous receive their reward at death? Listen to what the Bible says here. For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels. Then shall he what? Reward every man according to his works. Matthew 16, 27. When do the righteous receive their reward? When what? The Son of Man comes in the glory of his Father with his angels. Very good. Notice again. Knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of the what? Inheritance for you serve the Lord Christ Jesus. Colossians 3, 24. So the reward we are receiving is the reward of the inheritance. And what is the inheritance? It's everlasting life. It's the kingdom of heaven. When Jesus comes with his father in his glory. So we read again. Jesus says, and behold, I come quickly and my reward was sent ahead of me. My reward is what? with me to give every man according as his work shall be. Revelation twenty two twelve. So Jesus says, when I come again, that's when I'm bringing my what? Reward, both for the righteous and for the wicked. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory and before him shall be gathered all nations and he shall separate them one from another as a shepherd divided his sheep from the goats and he shall set the sheep on the right hand but the goats on the left and he shall set the sheep, I'm sorry, then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, come ye blessed of my father and what? Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Question, when will Jesus say to the blessed, come and inherit the kingdom? When's he going to say it? When the king comes again. When is that, beloved? Second coming of Jesus Christ. It is then that he says, inherit the kingdom prepared for you. Notice what the book of Acts chapter 2, 29 says. Peter is speaking here and he's talking to the Jews and he is telling them about David. And I just want you to notice what he says about David, the patriarch, the man after God's own heart. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both what? Dead and buried. Now question, is Jesus dead? Is David dead? You guys are pretty smart. What's the difference? Right. 
One is living, one is not. <laughs> one has life, the other one has ceased living. It says he is dead and both buried or buried and his sepulcher is with us unto this day, Acts 2.29. And then it says in verse 34, for David is not ascended into the heavens. There's a reason why, because the Bible tells us that David is going to get his reward when? When Jesus comes again. So that lets us know, beloved, that there, that people, when they die, they do not go straight to where? Heaven, but they must await the reward that, that Jesus brings with him when he comes again. What does it mean to be mortal? What does it mean to be mortal? Subject to death. What does it mean to be immortal? Not subject to death. Let me share with you a little story. When I was, you know, a little child, I watched a movie. I'm not even going to name the name of the movie. But this was a terrifying. The, the scene just stuck with me in my mind the whole time. In this movie, this little boy, I'm sorry, this, this lady's driving and she, um, it's a horror movie. Please, just bear with me as I share this with you. It's not very graphic, but just bear with me. And in this movie, the lady's driving and she looks down for a moment. She's not paying attention and she hits this man. And she, she runs over him and she passes by and she stops and she looks in the rearview mirror. She's going, oh my goodness, I hit this man. And she keeps driving. Well, she's driving and it's nighttime and, you know, she's there driving. And then about, I don't know, 20 minutes down the road, she sees this hitchhiker again. And guess who it is? It's the guy that she ran over. And she's going, this can't be right. This can't be. The... And, and, you know, this is a horror show. And so she hits the guy again. And the rest of the movie, she's trying to kill this guy. He just won't what? Die. Now we would say that this, this guy was what? Immortal, not subject to, to death. In other words, I could do anything to you, you know, try to cut your hands off and cut your feet off and all that, and you may be very injured, but you're not what? You can't die. You still, you still function. Want you to notice what the Bible says here about mortality and immortality. 1 Corinthians 15, 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. We shall not all what? Sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound. When, it, when is it going to sound? When, it, when does it say at the what? Last trump, the trumpet shall sound, and the dead will be raised, how? Incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on what? Immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. 1 Corinthians 15, 53, and 54. When do you and I put on immortality, beloved? At the last what? Trump. When the dead in Christ shall rise, the Bible says, it is then and not before that we put on immortality. In other words, what we're seeing from this is that immortality is a gift from God. It is a reward. Notice 1 Thessalonians 4.16, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and the, trump of, and the trumpet of God, and the who? Dead in Christ will do what? Rise first. Where are the dead in Christ now according to this verse? In heaven. Where? In the grave. Excellent. 
Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Now I want you to notice Revelation 24 and 5. We're going to get into this Sunday night. But notice what it says here. And I saw thrones and they sat upon them. And judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God. And which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived, some translations say, they came to life. Question, what event brings to life these people that were dead previously? What is the event that brings to life those who had died for Jesus? The second coming. That's what we've been reading. Now it says, and they lived and reigned with Christ how long? A thousand years. In other words, beloved, what this verse is telling us is that all who have ever died in Christ, because even Abel was killed for the witness of Jesus Christ, all who die in Christ will be resurrected at the same time and spend how long? A thousand years. Now, let's say that somebody died today and they went straight to heaven. And then, you know, I don't know, uh, or somebody died, what, a thousand years ago and went straight to heaven. And then, you know, someone dies today and they go to heaven. Would that, could that verse be true? No. In other words, this verse tells us that the righteous are resurrected at the same time and that they reign how long together? 1,000 years together at the same time there must be a common beginning point for this 1,000 year reign which takes place in heaven to happen. Alright, what about the wicked? Are the wicked punished at death? Well, let's find out. You know, and I love this verse because have you ever heard an angel slip up? An angel, I could just imagine after this happened that the devil must have been really angry at these two angels. These two men that were possessed with devils came running out to Jesus. And it says there met him two, there met him two possessed with devils coming out of the tombs, exceeding fierce, and behold, they cried out saying, now, mind you, many people believe that when you die, you go straight to where? Hell, and the time of torment begins when? As soon as you die, but look at how these demonic angels slip up. It says, and behold, they cried out saying, what have we to do with, the, with thee, Jesus, thou son of God? Art thou come hither to torment us before the what? The time? In other words, beloved, these angels slip up and say, we just told them that the time of torment is not going on when? Right now, that there is a set time for the torment. That's what happens. These angels say, "Don't cut, have you come to torture us before the time that has been set that they evidently know about that so many people don't know about? People think that when, 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 when a person dies, if they're wicked, they're in, hell, they're in hell being tormented right now. How fair would it be for, for uh, humanity to be to be tormented right now and Satan and his angels are running free. That wouldn't make a whole lot of sense, beloved. Listen, blessed and holy, Revelation 20 verse 6, blessed and holy is he that has part in the first resurrection on such the second what? Death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Revelation 26. If there is a second death, there must also be a what? 
A first death, very good. Let's see what the second death is. Are any burning in hell right now? And death, this is Revelation 21, 8, and this takes place after the 1,000 years. We'll, we'll learn more about this on Sunday night, but listen to what it says. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. Now, question, what sense would it make to take a burning place called hell and cast it into a lake of fire? Oh, you thought you were burning now? Wait till I cast you into the lake of fire. Now you're really going to burn. What sense does that make? No, beloved, we must understand that hell is not a burning place. It's simply the what? The grave. So when the Bible says that death and hell were cast into the lake of fire, it goes on to say this is the second what? Death, but the fearful and unbelieving and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second what? Death. So beloved, if the second death is a death that entails fire and brimstone, can it be logical for us to consume, to assume rather, that the first death cannot be the same thing? The first, de the first death must be something different from the second death. In the first death, or in the second death, hell finally comes on fire. Which means that in the first death, hell cannot be on fire. Alright, excellent. What is the first death? The Bible says, And the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living what? A living soul. So that when God created Adam out of the dust, he first made him out of dirt, was man, was Adam living then? No, he was not living until God did what? Breathe the breath of life into his nostrils. Now let me ask you, did, man, did God breathe uh, Adam's consciousness into him? Or did he breathe into him the breath of life? He breathed into him the breath of life. That's what the Bible says here. In other words, God had created Adam with all his thinking capacities. Adam was not thinking. The breath of life was like the plug that brought Adam to life. It's much like a computer. All the information is where? On the computer, but you plug it in to do what? To turn it on. So this is how Adam was created. Adam was, was Adam existing before he existed? No, Adam was not in heaven before he existed. God breathed into him the breath of life and then he became a living soul. The Old Testament Hebrew word for spirit is ruach, which means what everyone? Breath. So when, when the Bible says God breathed into him, he did not breathe into him some floating spirit. He breathed into him the breath of what? Of life. Dust plus spirit equals a living soul. So the Bible here is showing us that man does not have a soul, but he is a soul. He is a living soul. Elements of the earth plus breath equals a living being. A living soul means a living person. Now, after Adam and Eve sinned, remember God told them, if you sin, you're surely going to what? Die. God, they sinned, and now God is about to explain to them what death is. He says, in the sweat of your face shall you eat bread till you return to heaven. For out of it you were taken. Is that what it says? No, till you return where? Unto the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and unto dust shalt thou 
return. In other words, God tells Adam, Adam, you are going to return to the state in which you were in before I created you. Was Adam existing before he was created? No. So when Adam died, he returned to a state of what? Non-existence. He was dead. No knowledge. Listen, Ecclesiastes 12, 7, Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the what? Spirit shall return unto God who gave it. This is the Bible describing what happens when a person dies. Dust to dust. And what goes back to God? My mind? The breath. Very good. His spirit departs. He returns to the earth. In that very day, his plans do what? Perish, Psalms 146.4. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become as one of us to know good and evil. And now lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Genesis 3.22. It says, Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man and placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword, which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. In other words, God said, listen, Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve have now sinned, and now we're not going to allow them to partake of the tree of life so that they cannot live forever. Why? Because the wages of sin was what? Death. Adam and Eve got on the wrong the wrong system, the wrong principle, and because of it, they too must come to an end. All right? Notice again what the Bible says in Ezekiel 18.4. Behold, all souls are mine. As the soul of the Father, so also the soul of the Son is mine. The soul that sinneth, it shall what? Die. Very good. The soul that does what? Sins, it shall die. Can the soul die? According to this verse. Yes, you know what Satan's telling people? The soul is immortal. It can't die. Your body may die, but your soul lives on forever and ever. Ezekiel just told us that the soul, or in today's English version, the person who sins is the one who will die. Notice Ecclesiastes 9.5. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know not what? Anything so beloved. If someone appears to you at the side of your bed tonight and says, hey, I've got some secrets from the other side of existence to tell you. What do you know according to the Bible? The Bible says the living know that they should die, but the dead know not what? Anything. Anything. Job 14, 21. If his sons are honored, he does not know it. If they are brought low, he, brought, brought low, he does not see it. This is Job speaking about those who die. You go to the grave and you may be talking to them, but they cannot what? hear or see it. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor any who go down into what? Silence. Listen, and at that time shall Michael, that is Jesus, stand up the great prince, prince which standeth for the children of thy people, and many of them that sleep in the what? Dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Beloved, where are the dead? According to the Bible. They are sleeping in the grave. I know that this is not popular. I know that most churches teach that when you die, you go straight to heaven. But beloved, I'm trying to tell you in as nice a way as I can tonight that that is not biblical. It is simply not biblical. 
Notice the New Testament, what it says about death. Jesus says, marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in the which. All that are in the where? Heaven. All that are in heaven. All that are in the grave shall hear his voice and shall come forth. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. John 5, 28 and 29. Again, Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, okay, this is one where people say, well, look, this is evidence that when you die, you go straight to heaven. Look at Jesus. It says, Jesus said unto him, verily I say unto you, today thou shalt be with me in where? Paradise. Remember when the thief on the cross died and Jesus told him this? Beloved, I want you to notice, that's Luke 23, 43. Did Jesus ascend to heaven the day that he died? Notice what the Bible says in John 20, 17. Three days later, on a Sunday, Jesus said to Mary, who was holding on to him, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father. So what did Jesus mean when he said, Today I say unto you, you will be with me in paradise? Well, in the Bible, there are no such, the, the, the actual, the original uh, um, manuscripts have no punctuation marks in them whatsoever. So this punctuation mark was placed here by KJV writers where it says, Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto thee, comma, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. What if you take that comma and move it behind that today? What would happen? Verily I say unto you today, comma, you will be with me where? In paradise. I'm saying to you today, Mr. Thief on the cross, that you will be with me in paradise. When I come with my what? Reward. That's the way that we coincide these two verses. Now what about Elijah and Moses? How many of you know that Elijah and Moses are in heaven? Okay, so you say, well, what about them, Pastor Myers? I mean, come on now. Well, the truth is they are in heaven. There are more people than Moses and Elijah in heaven. I'm gonna, the Bible tells us who they are. They're Enoch, Moses, Elijah, Calvary saints, we'll look at that in a moment, and Jesus. Now, let's go ahead and look, and I want to see if you can find the common, uh, the common theme in these verses we're about to look at about all these individuals. Enoch. The Bible says, And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Genesis 5, 24. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see what? Death. And was not found because God had translated him. Hebrews 11 verse 5. So if you were around in Enoch's time and you went looking for Enoch, would you have found Enoch? No. Very good. Okay. What about Elijah? The Bible says here, and they said unto him, behold now, this is after Elijah is taken up into heaven. They come to Elisha, who was with Elijah. And they said unto him, behold now, there be with thy servants 50 strong men. Let them go, we pray thee, and seek thy master. Speaking about Elijah. Lest peradventure the spirit of the Lord has taken him up and cast him up upon some mountain or into some valley. The Bible goes on to say, They sent therefore fifty men, and they sought him three days, but found him not. 2 Kings 2, 16, 17. If you were in Elijah's day and you went looking for Elijah, would you have found him? No. Very good. Calvary saints. The Bible says here, and behold, when Jesus had died, behold, the veil of the temple was rent in two, the earth did quake, and the rocks went rent, and the graves were opened, and many of the spirits of the saints which slept arose. 
Oh, many of the bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. Matthew 27, 52 to 53. These are what most considered to be the 24 elders. Now, question. If you had gone into the grave sites of these people that were resurrected, would you have seen bodies there? After they were resurrected, would you have seen bodies there? Okay. What would you do if someone came to you and said, hey, these guys are resurrected? You, first you'd be like, nah, get out of here. No, I don't believe you. And then they say, hey, come look at the grave. And they bring you to the grave and you see all these dead bodies in the grave and the guy's saying, hey, they're resurrected. Isn't this great? What would you do with that person? <laughs> you would say, you are what? You're crazy. Quiz. What was the greatest evidence that Jesus was, is alive? Nobody. Nobody. Question. If the disciples went around on Sunday morning and they were extremely happy, Jesus is alive. And the tomb had still had that stone on it. What do you think the Roman soldiers and everyone who heard them would have said? You guys are absolutely crazy. But you know what? Just to satisfy our curiosity, we want to move that stone, and we're going to go take a look. And they move the stone, and they see the dead, cold body of Jesus in the tomb. What would they have done to those disciples? Straight jackets, right? And they would send them away. But beloved, somehow or another today, as we go to funerals, we'll say things like, she's in heaven. She's resurrected. She's alive. And it just whew, goes over our heads. Beloved, the greatest evidence that Jesus was alive was an empty tomb. This is why when the Bible specifically points out those who were resurrected, one thing is in common with all of them. There was no what? No body found, which lets us know that the resurrection is a bodily event. It is not the resurrection of some invisible thing, but bodies will be popping up out the grave. And like I said, if you are not in Jesus, when the resurrection occurs, you might die from a heart attack. As you see graves popping up. Question, how long has Ronald Reagan been dead? Quiz time. About a year, is it? I think it's about a year, right? Okay, longer? Somewhere around there? Okay, next question. How long has Jesus been dead? He's not dead. Amen. Ronald Reagan is dead, but Jesus is not dead. Why can we say that? Because if we go to Ronald Reagan's tomb and we dig it up, what are we going to find? A body. Now, perhaps Ronald Reagan we will be there in the resurrection morning, but it will be the when? Resurrection morning. That's why we sing songs about Jesus being alive because there's no body. But beloved, when you go to a tomb and you see the body there or you see the dust in that tomb, the body may be gone now, but it's dust. That person is still what? There. What about this verse, absent from the body? We are confident, I say, and willing rather that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. 2 Corinthians 5, 8. And I hear this one quoted thousands of times as the sole evidence, despite of all the scriptures we've looked at, the sole evidence that when a person dies, they are there with the Lord. Let's look at that chapter a little bit more clearly. Just a couple of verses absent from the body. Listen. 
Right up in that same chapter, it says, For we that are in this tabernacle, meaning this body, do groan being burdened, not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon that mortality might be swallowed up of life. What is Paul saying here? That he is a what? He is mortal, but he's waiting for the time that mortality will be swallowed up of what? Life. When mortality will put on immortality. Therefore, we are always confident knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. And then it goes on to say, but to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Question. When you go to a tomb and that person's body is in that tomb, is that person, technically speaking, still with the body? They're not thinking, but are they still with the body? It's still the old, corrupt body. Let's say that body decomposes, and all you see is dust in there. Is he still with the body that came from the dust of the ground? Yes. When does he receive the new body? When is he now absent from that old, corruptible body? For this corruptible, speaking about the second coming of Christ, for this corruptible must put on what? Incorruption. When does a corruptible put on incorruption? At the second coming. And this mortal must put on what? Immortality. When does that happen, everyone? At the second coming. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption? At the second coming. And this mortal shall have put on immortality? At the second coming, then shall be brought to pass the saying that death is swallowed up in what? Victory or mortality is swallowed up in life. Alright, we're not going to look at Lazarus. I just want to give you a couple points on this very quickly. The story of Lazarus is a parable. How many of you are familiar with that story, Lazarus? Lazarus and the rich man and you know he's burning in hell. Let me just share with you a couple points on this very quickly. First of all, uh, Abraham's bosom is not to be taken literally. Because, you know, the parable is not saying that when you die, you go to Abraham's belly. It's, you need to understand that this is clearly a parable. What else? Would Lazarus be bodily in the grave or in a burning place? In other words, you know, many people teach when you die, the body doesn't go to hell. It's a spirit that goes to hell. But when you read this story, Lazarus, his, he is bodily, or I'm sorry, the rich man is bodily in hell. He's asking Lazarus to dip his finger in some water to cool his what? Tongue. Now the question is, is the rich man's tongue in hell or is it in the grave? It's in the grave. If you were to dig that grave up, you would find Lazarus of the rich man there. The rich man is not in Abraham's bosom. This is clearly a parable. Another thing, Lazarus receives his reward before the second what? Death. It should be up there. I'm sorry, the rich man receives his reward before the second death, which is explicitly said to be at the end of the millennium. In other words, Abraham is now burning, but the Bible just told us that the wicked are not destroyed until at the end of the 1,000 years in the second death. The dead possess knowledge of events on earth. Lazarus is saying, hey, I've got brothers back up in heaven. Can you? I mean, back on earth, can you help me out? What does the Bible say about the dead? They have no what? knowledge of things going on on the earth. 
I've got just a few more slides here and we'll be through. Abraham has received his reward contrary to Hebrews 11, 39, 40. In other words, in this parable, Abraham is just sitting back and he's not relaxing. He's happy. He's in heaven. But notice what Hebrews 11, 39 and 40 says. Speaking of Abraham. All these having obtained a good report through faith received what? Not the promise. God having provided something, some better thing for us that they without us should not be made perfect. We're told here that Abraham is not yet where? In heaven. He hasn't received the promise yet. So again, this is simply a parable. Spiritualism teaches that the soul is what? Immortal. Angels, but not familiar spirits. Have you ever wondered why would God allow us to talk to angels, but not allow us to talk to our dead loved ones? Does that seem fair? We can talk to angels, but we can't talk to our dead loved ones who are supposedly in heaven. Why would God say, do not communicate with consultors or familiar spirits according to Deuteronomy 8, 11, and 12? Beloved, it's because they are not who they profess to what? To be. They are demons in disguise. How many of you heard about near-death experiences? Alright, those seem to prevent convincing evidence that when you die, you know you go somewhere. But beloved, how many of you realize that when you sleep, you could have a dream and you think that the dream lasted five hours? And you woke up and it was, you know, really much less time? Beloved, when you are in a state of unconsciousness or in some kind of state like that, time loses relevance. You can think you went to heaven and been there a thousand years and you were out for ten minutes. So there's really no scientific evidence that supports the fact that when a person dies, there's this thing that floats on out there and they saw all these things. It's The mind is actually shutting down and different things are happening. And you can read a lot about that. I'm not going to go into that. It's contrary to the written word of God. The living know that they shall die, but the dead know not anything. Puts people in place... <laughs> places people in heaven or hell before the resurrection. You know, this one is really nice because sometimes people say, you know, I saw my Uncle Nestor and he's in heaven. And you know Uncle Nestor used to just be one of the worst people that you just knew, but he's in heaven. Well, man, if Uncle Nestor's in heaven, I know that I'm going to what? I know I'm going to be there. And the devil will come with these things and say, oh, yeah, that's the way it is. Immortality is not the result of submission to the sanctuary of God. This is what the lie, this is the lie the devil is trying to put out in the world. Black magic is this. Pagan Greek philosophy talks about the immortality of the soul. Reincarnation speaks about the immortality of the soul. Spiritualism, all these false religions have one thing in common, the immortality of the soul. And then to bring it into the church, we simply teach that when you die, you don't really what? Die. You are naturally immortal. Beloved, as I close, there is only one way to eternal life. And that is through who? Jesus Christ. And through this teaching, the devil has opened up a way in which many other religions have sprouted saying, yes, we are naturally immortal. We can live forever. We don't need Jesus to exist forever. And whose lie was that originally? Satan's. You don't need Jesus to live forever. There are other ways to have eternal life. Let me ask you a closing question. As Christians, is our hope death or is it resurrection? It's, why is it resurrection? Because that's when we receive the what? 
reward. If it is as Satan says, then beloved, our hope should be what? If it is as Satan says, our hope should be death. Oh, I can't wait to die. How many of you can't wait to die? Come on, Christians. Eternal life, nobody can. Because, beloved, death is a curse. Now, how many of you can't wait to be resurrected? See? That's our hope, beloved, not death. And the way Satan has it and the way many churches are teaching it is death is our hope. When he died, he, oh, he's now gone to be with the Lord. No, beloved, we are in the graves until that blessed hope of the resurrection when Jesus says, come forth, my servant, enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Tomorrow night, we're going to talk about the city of fire because many of you are thinking, well, what about hell? What is that about? And how long does it last? Please do not miss tomorrow night, beloved. Jesus Christ is the only way to eternal life. The gift of God is eternal life. Beloved, as you go home, I would like you to think about those two circles that we saw tonight. One continues on and on, and we receive that gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ at the resurrection. The other one comes to an end. And I want you to think, which one of those tracks are you on tonight? Is it about yourself or is it about Jesus? Heavenly Father, Lord, we have seen that in the beginning, Lucifer, it was his desire to destroy you and all you stood for. And Lord, we've seen the lie that he convinced, that he used to convince one third of the angels. And Lord, that he is now using to deceive many on earth. Help us, Lord, to realize that there is only one way to eternal life, and that is through Jesus Christ, that we are not naturally immortal. The Bible says you only are immortal. And that you give that gift to us at the resurrection for those who have exercised the law of self-sacrificing love. Please, Lord, help us because we cannot do this on our own. Help us to be faithful to your word despite what so many believe and think. Help us to be faithful to your word and to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.